0: are listening to the Paul McGuire Report. The picture of the guy that you see behind me is a guy named Alice Huxley. Now, Alice Huxley um, was like one of the most pivotal figures of my life, beginning as a relatively young child growing up in New York City. I was raised in an atheist, um, transhumanist, yeah, transhumanist, atheist, existentialist household, and uh, in fact, in my book, Power from on High, I deal with Huxley and a lot of other stuff. But I want to get right right down into the middle of it. So in third grade, I was bored out of my mind as I was attending uh, public school 69, PS 69. That was in the days in America when for 25 cents or a quarter, you could buy two slices of pizza and a Coke across the street from the school. Now just think about that for a moment. For a quarter, for 25 cents, you could get two big, full-on, outrageously good New York slices of pizza and a big tall Coke for just 25 cents. Now I didn't know it at the time, but as I was getting my two slices of pizza and a Coke, I was suddenly being indoctrinated into one of the, let's call it what it really is, one of the mystery Babylon um, secrets, the secrets of mystery Babylon, which go all the way back to ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel or Babel. And by the way, the, the words Babel or Babel, when they're translated, they actually mean portals or gate of God or gate of the gods. So Nimrod, who was the founder of ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel, he and the occult elite that ran ancient Babylon, they knew all kinds of uh, tricks of sorcery, mind control, hypnosis, and in actuality, ancient Babylon was the world's first one world government, one world religion, and one world economic system. Now, Until you come to the place where you understand the basics, like what Mystery Babylon is, you are a personality. You're a person. You're supposedly an individual. But I'm not trying to put anybody down, but may I ask you this question? Deep inside of you, have you realized who you are? Have you come into divine connection with your true identity? Or, conversely, when you look inside yourself, do you see, if you're honest, an empty, hollow man or hollow woman? When you look inside yourself, do you see a void or a vacuum? Because if you do look inside of yourself, honestly, with a certain amount of integrity, you will inevitably discover that you are a void, a vacuum, and even though you may have attended all kinds of schooling and gotten all kinds of higher education, the fact of the matter is that you don't know why you're alive, what you're doing here on planet Earth, and what your purpose is. Now, those three questions I was obsessed with as a very, very young boy. I'm talking about, oh, I don't know, kindergarten or or before. I was obsessed in trying to find out the answers to, to what I considered the three most important questions of life. Why was I alive? What was my purpose in life? And what am I doing here on planet Earth? And so I pursued, with everything in me, the answer to those questions. Now, again, I'm raised in an atheist household, existentialist household, transhumanist household. You say, how could you be raised in a transhumanist household? Um, when, when you were in third grade... You know, transhumanism wasn't around. No, 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 that's not correct. Transhumanism was exploding when I was in third grade because there was a guy named uh, Aldous Huxley, you can see his quote behind me, a guy named Aldous Huxley who wrote a book called Brave New World. And when I read his book, Brave New World, it it blew my mind because when I saw Brave New World, uh, what I saw was that the world all around me was Brave New World. My teachers didn't get it, my fellow students didn't get it, but for me it was like being hit with a bolt of lightning from another dimension. I recognized that the Brave New World that Aldous Huxley talked about was very much alive and well in the reality that I lived in, and so his brother, Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley, um, became the head of a special division of the United Nations. The United Nations, of course, was formed. It goes all the way back to ancient Babylon in its conceptualization. And Julian Huxley uh, was the the head of UNESCO. Uh, In the 1940s, they created things like Common Core Education. And Julian Huxley was uh, one of the world's first transhumanists. And, of course, the definition of a transhumanist is a transhumanist is simply a humanist who believes that through technology, science, genetic engineering, um, we can make ourselves, through technology and science, we can reinvent ourselves by manipulating our genetic coding, by, by um, uh, developing artificial intelligence technology and all kinds of things. So transhumanism was an emerging science. I, both of these men, the Huxley brothers, literally set me on fire. Because when I, when I looked at Huxley, and we're going to look at him here, and we may get a burst of sound, but you know, it is what it is. But Huxley, um, he wrote this book, Brave New World, which you see behind me. And in this book, Huxley um, asked the question... Do we live in this brave new world? And the answer is, of course, we do live in this brave new world. And this brave new world, according to Huxley, is, and was, and is presently, it's ruled by a Luciferian elite. Um, It's ruled by scientists who use science to, to rule by a scientific dictatorship of drugs, scientific mind control, Things of that nature, and then Huxley also talked about the manipulation of DNA uh, known as the science of eugenics, where you you deliberately manipulate mankind's DNA in order to make mankind god to in order to uh, give to mankind an artificial immortality, and this is what Huxley and his brother and the other elites represented going way back, but also going back to the 50s and 60s when when his book was written. In fact, in my own journey, and I don't believe there's accidents when when you've committed your life to God and you're trying to find the truth and you've committed yourself to God. When I say to God, I'm talking about to the infinite personal living God of the universe. I ended up living on Lookout Mountain up in the Hollywood Hills right next to Laurel Canyon. And I moved there roughly in 1986 when I was the executive producer on a science fiction feature film uh, that was titled um, I'm trying to remember what his was were for crying out loud Wired to Kill. And so I was the executive producer of Wired to Kill and by divine coincidence I happened to realize that although I was there in, in 1986 producing Wired to Kill which by the way We produced this movie, Wired to Kill, in 1986. The theme of Wired to Kill was that a biological warfare pandemic had escaped out of a secret laboratory, and the United States and the world basically went into a free fall, taken over by violent gangs, and people on the left and the right were all dying of this super-spreader biological disease pandemic known in our movie as Tapex. So as it turns out, where I live on Lookout Mountain Avenue is just a short walk to where Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World, lived, uh, when he originally, well, he moved in there and he hung out there several times. But going back to the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and even into the 70s, Aldous Huxley lived a short walk from my house. Now also, I believe with God's hand on it, it was just an even shorter walk from my house to the great science fiction writer Robert Heinlein, uh, who wrote Stranger in a Strange Land and many other novels about the future. He lived uh, like two or three houses down from where I lived in a different time period. And the people that used to hang out with Robert Heinlein were people like the great science fiction writer Isaac Asimov, who wrote the iRobot series and the Foundation series. And in those science fiction novels, he depicts a future where robots, androids, (coughs) clones, artificial intelligence uh, creates a robotic environment where the robots begin to take over and enslave mankind. And Isaac Asimov... Uh, goes through uh, a depiction in his book of the three laws of robotics. And those are the three primary laws that are programmed into robots so that they don't attempt to conquer and enslave human beings. Another person who hung out with Heinlein and Isaac Asimov was L. Ron Hubbard, science fiction author, and later he became the founder of... uh, uh, Scientology. So all these guys lived within a short walking distance of my house. Timothy Leary also lived uh, a short distance from my house. And Timothy Leary, the Harvard professor, was not only the Harvard professor, but Timothy Leary was uh, a Harvard professor who promoted the usage of LSD to expand your mind. And Timothy Leary was also one of the pioneers of what is known as cybernetics. Uh, branch of computer science where you learn how to merge artificial intelligence with altered states of psychedelic consciousness. I know this stuff sounds like, you know, really out there, but it's not out there. This is what people who are the heads of the big tech companies, many of them are very fluent in what I just talked to you about. They're very knowledgeable about what I just talked about they know, and they per- many people who are the top software engineers in Silicon Valley, many people who are the biggest entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, they read Timothy Leary, and they read cybernetics, and they read all these other sci-fi books, psychedelic books, and computer books. And so, uh, what you see in our lifetime is that large numbers of people especially in certain, let's call them cutting-edge industries uh, like computers in Silicon Valley and and other uh, uh, disciplines, they are using or they're taking uh, a low dose of powerful psychedelic drugs like ketamine, like LSD, like mescaline, and many other psychedelic drugs. And they call that, when you take a low dose of LSD or ketamine or whatever, you call that microdosing. They do that because they're, they're looking to chemically enhance their brains, enhance their creativity, and enhance their productivity. So once again, the future that was once envisioned by people like Leary and others has now become uh, a commonplace practice among people in the computer and the artificial intelligence uh, industry. And things like microdosing, they're, they're not some weird esoteric thing. They're kind of mainstream in the emergence of, of what I call the new counterculture. And so what is the new counterculture? I, I write about it a lot in my book, Power from on High. I also tell my own personal quest to find out the answers, my own personal experiences with LSD, remote viewing, mental telepathy, psychedelic drugs, OBEs, um, and all kinds of cutting-edge experimentation, because I majored in, I had a dual major at the University of Missouri. I majored in Altered States of Consciousness, which is a brand new field in the psychology department, and I majored in filmmaking at the University of Missouri. And Ironically, even though at the time when I signed up to major in these fields where, where literally, I mean, anybody in their right mind wouldn't have chosen such an esoteric field to major in academically. Most of my friends were majoring in accounting and engineering and mathematics and history, marketing, business areas or fields which promised you know, secure jobs. Ironically, uh, being the best-selling author of uh, 46 books and speaking all over the world and reaching millions of people and producing feature films, etc., and being a uh, licensed minister of Paradise Mountain Church and uh, all kinds of things. The subject matter that I lecture on, the teaching I give, I'm, I'm considered an expert in Bible prophecy, and this goes back to, you know, over 45 years of research beginning in my childhood, uh, it just turns out by the hand of God that these obscure film, uh, fields that I majored in, like filmmaking and altered states of consciousness, by coincidence, I don't believe in coincidences, but let's say by coincidence, or the sovereign hand of God, the subject matters that I became an expert in just happened to be when I got into living in the future. So, in other words, I'm starting out in third grade at PS69 in Jackson Heights, Queens. I'm having an epiphany uh, and eye-opening experience of reading Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. And then, uh, from there, I start to learn and study and experiment in, in these cutting-edge fields Not knowing that the path my life would take me to would eventually be in the very arenas where in order for me to be qualified, fully qualified, to teach on these subjects like Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy, when you read it correctly, um, um, expounds on things like transhumanism like a microchip implant, like a nanochip implant, like a biochip implant, like a neural implant that Elon Musk is using. So I find myself decades later stepping through the doors into a future that unbeknownst to me, I have been uniquely prepared for and uniquely qualified for by studying and personal experimentation and meeting with the highest level people in these fields for the last 45 years. And there's no way you could have just planned that out of your linear, rational, logical mind. It it is evidence that all of us, myself included, but also including you, all of us, potentially, if we read the Bible for what it is, and that is the literal Word of God, and when we understand that it is the Creator that created each one of us, Creator with a capital C, And then when we understand that the Creator God, the Supreme Being, that He knew every one of us before the foundation of the world, and He chose us to be here to fulfill a particular purpose and destiny, He chose us to be here for such a time as this. And therefore, if you look at all your experiences, your knowledge, your gifting, your skills, your abilities, um, and everything of that nature, if you look at them and you analyze them, that will give you a super powerful clue into why you're alive, why you were placed here on planet Earth, and what your purpose in life is. Which, going back to Paul McGuire in in kindergarten, those were the three questions that I was obsessed with getting the answer to above everything. I was on a quest to find out why I was alive, what my purpose in life was and is, and what am I doing here on planet Earth. And so, although I didn't plan it out, the fields of study that I gravitated to, the things that the Lord allowed me to experience that prepared me, in the long run, uniquely prepared me to deal with sophisticated disciplines, areas of science, like virtual reality, synthetic reality, the metaverse, quantum physics, quantum mechanics, Eastern mysticism, what I call the pharaoh-god-king system, where the ancient Egyptian pharaohs ruled over the masses by convincing them that they were god-kings. And then the, the proper study of the Book of Revelation. The Book of Revelation is by no means some antiquated, archaic book, the book of, of Revelation is a digital, multi-dimensional book that deals with an archetypical and very real conflict between God, the angels of God, the people following God, who are in an archetypical struggle with um, Satan, the fallen angels, the demonic powers, and all of those who have chosen to follow Satan. So, these are the things... When we, when we add them all up, we can determine why we're here, what our purpose in life is, and what our mission here in life is. We're talking about Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, and the fact that Aldous Huxley's Brave New World left an indelible imprint on my consciousness and mind as well as tens of millions of other people. For me, I read Brave New World in third grade in Jackson Heights Queens, PO sixty nine. And it, it blew my mind because I could see what Huxley was talking about, I could see the evidence of it coming all around me in the world all around me. And and for those of you that are not familiar with Brave New World, Brave New World is a science fiction novel that basically predicted the world that we live in today. It is a novel about uh, an all-powerful scientific dictatorship that rules over the masses through scientific mind control, drugs, sleep deprivation, hypnotic programming, genetic engineering, the manipulation of DNA. It's a totally controlled, top-down society. And and many people look at it like, oh, wow, it's going to be like heaven on earth. But it's not heaven on earth. Make no mistake about it, Aldous Huxley's book, Brave New World, and, and the work of his transhumanist brother, Julian Huxley, the, the head of the UNESCO, and the plan of the UN, and the plan of the Great Reset, the Great Reset, of course, being the rebranding, the new name for what used to be called the New World Order, which the New World Order was this ancient plan developed in ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel, And it was a plan to create a Luciferian, one world government, one world religion, and one world economic system. And God came down from heaven to check it out because he knew that Babylon and the Tower of Babel was was an evil uh, plan by mankind. It, It was not benign. It was not going to bring in something good. And it definitely wasn't going to bring in heaven on earth. What it was going to bring in was hell on earth. So let's remember, when we think about the uh, belief system of the people in ancient Babylon, what were they doing? They were Luciferians. They, They followed the precepts of Lucifer. They were attempting to organize, develop technology that would allow Lucifer to become the temporary god of this world. And then on top of that, um... The the, the whole technology of the the Tower of Babel, when you do a a translation of the various words, you discover that Babel or Babel can mean confusion, but it also refers to, the Tower of Babel can also be translated as the Gate of God or the Gate of the Gods. Well, what gods are these? The fallen angels. Nimrod and the people of ancient Babylon the occult scientists, technologists, and sorcerers of ancient Babylon worked in a unification to produce interdimensional portals which allowed for the entrance of fallen angels and demons into the earth. So when God checked out ancient Babylon, he immediately had to destroy it in judgment. And the way God destroyed ancient Babylon in judgment was that he dispersed all the people groups all over the earth, He confused, they all spoke one language at that time period. He confused their language and he split the the common language of the human race into multiple languages. So Aldous Huxley and all these other men uh, that we can call members of the Luciferian elite, they would never admit to that publicly, but secretly, for example, people like Aldous Huxley belonged and worshipped in what was known as the cult of Dionysus. Dionysus is a female goddess that flows from the female goddess Ashtaroth, which is a female form of the satanic god Baal. The satanic god Baal in ancient pagan societies was worshipped by people sacrificing their children alive on the altars of Baal, or Moloch, burning their children alive on the altars of Molech or Baal for the purpose of, of gaining power and blessing and provision. Now, the female version of, of uh, worshiping Baal, the female version, would have been the worship of Ashtaroth. And Ashtaroth, the female goddess, demanded to be worshipped through sexual rampant sexual immorality. And so they built sexual temples and held orgies that were mixed with drugs and uh, occult activities. And, And these streams or legacies of occult belief systems have spread throughout the earth. Now, I want you to look at something behind me. You'll see a picture of the god Shiva. The god Shiva is primarily a male god, but can often be seen as a female goddess. And in this picture, the expression of Shiva, uh, the Hindu god, Shiva declares that he is, quote, the destroyer of worlds. So so he's like Baal. He's a god of chaos. He's a god of destruction. Now, it's very interesting that it's Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World, who pretends to be an atheist publicly, but privately is involved in the occult. And you can see this in Huxley's comments about the god Shiva. And you'll see that this statue of the god Shiva is, there's a giant statue of the god Shiva in the, at the headquarters of UNESCO in their boardroom. So all the heads of the World Health Organization are sitting there, and there's a giant statue of the god Shiva, the destroyer of worlds. When you go to the CERN Collider, there's a giant statue of Shiva, the destroyer of worlds, at the front entrance to the Hearn Collider. And then if you go back in time, and there there's a new movie out called Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer was a famous physicist. And when I was a very young boy, prior to third grade, Robert Oppenheimer was one of my heroes because, you know, part of me was a rebel, part of me was a nerd, even as a young kid. And so I, I, I wanted to be a nuclear physicist. And Robin, Robert Oppenheimer, and the movie just came out about him, was the father of the Manhattan Project, which was the race by the U.S. government to develop an atomic bomb and use an atomic bomb on our military enemies. And Robert Oppenheimer uh, ran this secret project called the Manhattan Project, where they did indeed develop an atomic bomb and they dropped this atomic bomb on, on Japan, on the cities of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Okay, the destroyer of worlds. So Robert Oppenheimer wrote in his diary he, that he perceived himself, he viewed himself like this Hindu god, Shiva, the destroyer of worlds. And he had also had a giant statue of Shiva, the god who was the destroyer of worlds. Oppenheimer had that statue near... Uh, the the nuclear test site in New Mexico where they first detonated the world's first atomic bomb. So let's look at these pictures of the god Shiva and and get an understanding, excuse me, of exactly what was going on. And interestingly, it's Alice Huxley who um, is, is narrating the, the analysis. What do you think of it? it's actually voice. there symbols that the Indians produced I mean they, the Shiva for example we never produced any the dancing Shiva those sort of little bronze statues it is uh, the Shiva with four arms dancing with one foot raised uh, and, well I mean I don't know the details are really quite extraordinary it's uh, the, the figure stands within a great circle sort of halo which has flames going out I mean, the symbols of flames and this is the uh, the circle of mass, energy, space, time. I mean, this is the material world, the great world, it's a great, all embracing material world with its planes. Within this, Shiva dances, he's called Nataraja, the lord of the dance, and he dances, he's everywhere in the universe. I mean, this is, this is his dance. The, the manifestation of the world is called his lila, his play. So, I mean, he sends his rain from the just and the unjust. And, uh, he's not, a, he's beyond good elite, of course. It's all an immense manifestation of play. Uh, he's, uh, he has his long hair, which is the hair of the yogi, contemplative. Video one minute. 30 seconds seven minutes. 33 seconds. Okay, so we see that um, Huxley is giving us his very learned scholarly analysis of the god Shiva. But notice what Huxley said, because this is the clue into the mindset and the consciousness of the elite the globalist elite or the Luciferian elite. He Huxley refers to what Shiva is doing, you know, the destroyer of worlds, as play. So what you have here, theologically and psychologically, and just on a human level, is that the globalist elite, the Luciferian elite, people who are deeply involved in occult mysticism or whatever, like I was. I was deeply involved in meditation, transcendental meditation. I experienced cosmic consciousness. I saw the great white light. I had OBEs, out-of-body experiences, uh, and all kinds of things. And one of the things that they taught is detachment, that you're supposed to be detached from maya, M-A-Y-A, because maya is the illusion of reality, and you're not supposed to be sucked into the illusion uh, of reality. You're supposed to be detached. But you see, that in and of itself represents an egregious and terrifying spiritual era. And let me, let me explain how it plays out. And people like Huxley and his brother Julian Huxley and the sci-fi author H.G. Wells and all the other people who see themselves as kind of godmen that would include the majority of the transhumanists, they are not aware of it, but they are being sucked into the lie of Lucifer the Shining One, or Satan, the Father of Lies. And and the primary lie that they accept is a lie that allows them and their actions to be fully comfortable with dehumanization. And once you dehumanize a man or a woman or a child created in the image of God by the Creator God, capital C, who is love, God is love, so so all of his creation, every man, every woman, every child is birthed out of the divine love of God or the divine love of Jesus Christ. When you detach yourself from that and say it's just an illusion or maya, what that does is it opens the door spiritually, it opens the door psychologically, it opens the door the- theologically for the entrance of a massive, satanic, demonic, and Luciferian... Delusion or apostasy or a great falling away from the truth. And when it opens the door to this delusion, it then, the second step is it makes it permissible for any man or woman, any member of the elite, any member of the ruling class, any member of the Luciferian elite, to justify the most abominable acts, the cruelest acts, the most horrifying sadistic, torturous actions are done upon women, men, and and most sadly, young children. And yes, it goes deeper than that. It actually opens the door for the elite or anybody else who possess uh, unusual power in any social structure. It opens the door for them to participate in things like satanic sacrifices, ritual satanic sacrifices where everything goes where you can kill a man or a woman where you can kill and torture and murder a little boy or a little girl including a little baby infant boy or girl it's permissible under this Luciferian system to torture them to sexually rape them in the most barbaric ways uh, for your pleasure your sick pleasure and for your entertainment And as a mechanism of gaining power. You see what's going on here? So, this god Shiva is not a harmless statue. The god Shiva, remember, behind every pagan god, including Shiva or Ashtaroth or uh, Molech, which is at the Bohemian Grove, or uh, um, Baal and, and the temple of Baal has been torn down and reconstructed In major cities across the world like the City of London, like the Vatican, like Manhattan, New York City. They have reconstructed large sections of the altar of Baal where little children were actually sacrificed alive in blood sacrifice. And you have to ask yourself, why would you commemorate, why would you celebrate human sacrifice, satanic sacrifice, and especially child sacrifice because when you bring these memorials into the United States which were recreated from the original altars of Baal and remember Baal worship the central element of Baal worship is human sacrifice and child sacrifice where children are burnt alive on the altars of Baal or Molech that's very sobering but you see the desensitization the spiritual deception which, which lays out the red carpet for these things to be permissible is when you begin to reject the true God and the living God, the supreme being, the God who is love, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when you reject the true God who is the biblical God, the God who is love, and you reject that God in favor of pagan gods, and remember... Behind every pagan god, whether it's Ashtaroth and Baal or Molech or whatever, behind every pagan god is a demon under the the directions of Lucifer or Satan. Behind every pagan god is a a demon or unclean spirit or fallen angel um, under the directives of Satan or Lucifer. So, it's a very, very disturbing thing, and we, we need to explain to people, this is part of what Christian evangelism, in, in in the true sense of the word, is supposed to be. Christian evangelism, in the true sense of the word, not only is supposed to be uh, teaching the, the plan of salvation, which is forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus Christ acquired by faith, but... Evangelism also involves the intelligent, rational, coherent communication, understandable communication to people about exactly who the biblical God is and the difference between the biblical God and the pagan gods and the gods of the occult or Satanism or Luciferianism. And so Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church, we exist, we communicate to large numbers of people all over the world, Not trying to force our beliefs on anybody, but simply to present what I consider to be an accurate biblical uh, worldview, an accurate view of who the biblical God is, versus a distorted religious worldview, which is not truly a biblical worldview, it's an aberration of a biblical worldview you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report, I need you to visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Take advantage of all the big savings on books like Power from on High and other books. Go to paulmcguire.us. Make sure you support us with your finances and contributions, and make sure that you pray for us and everyone associated with this ministry. And make sure you sign up, like, and follow uh, our social media, our uh, Prophecy eblast. Because by doing that, you enable us to counteract uh, uh, social media and Internet manipulation, uh, which could be simply called rigging. You can help us undo rigging by signing up, by following our various social media and, and Internet presence.